Welcome along to episode 756 of the Milk Bar. Jason Forrest here with you as ever. And coming up on the show this week, Shemi Olcott let us know about sustainable holidays as we head through the winter. We'll be talking to Dominic Bugatti about his latest music project and about some of his back catalogue too. Dr Hilary Jones is along to remind us about how we should be getting our flu vaccinations. We'll have a natural professor Kate Williams all about Christmas traditions and how they are changing. Plus, Lawrence Llewellyn Bowen will be along as we find out how we can make the most of our energy over Christmas. That's all on the way on the show this week welcome to the milk bar 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 Uh, welcome to the milk bar Uh. now it seems that this year just 17 percent of people would be leaving a mince pie out for santa claus what is the story behind this? It's really not good news. We like Santa well-fed when he's delivering gifts. To tell us more, I'm joined now by Professor Kate Williams, historian and an expert on Christmas traditions. Good afternoon. Hi there. Hi there, Jason. Isn't this amazing news that actually only 17% of us are going to leave out a mince pie for Santa on Christmas Eve? Poor old Santa. He's got all that hungry work getting in between places and he's not going to get a mince pie at the end of it. Now, I'm hoping that people are leaving out other types of food, maybe cheese sandwiches or a cracker, but nothing like nothing is like a mince pie, is it? So really, we've been doing this research with Chef and Brewer Collection, all these 150 wonderful country pubs up and down the country. They're all so lovely and into Christmas traditions. And we are really finding that Christmas traditions are really changing. So not only are only 17% of us leaving out a mince pie, but also Christmas carols. Only 13% of us are going to do Christmas carols and only 23% of us are going to hang up the stocking. So Christmas is changing in a lot of the UK households. It is. But I mean, the tree is still there in people's homes, even though only 16% of them are real trees now. And it's it's difficult to work out. It's great to recycle a plastic tree, but actually taking carbon out of the air with a real tree has got its benefits too. So that's a difficult one to get the balance on, isn't it? Isn't that a fascinating statistic that 70% of us will have an artificial tree and although and 14% of us won't have a tree at all. And as you say, 16% of us are going to have a, a tree that's artificial that we get out every year. And it's really interesting because I was just reading about the tree in Trafalgar Square that's given as a gift from Norway after mm-hmm. the World War Two, that maybe Norway is saying we have to have a different ecological alternative for sending a tree all the way over here. So perhaps that might one might end up being an artificial tree. It's really interesting that Christmas is changing, that the only tradition that in this research we did, the only tradition that is going up is watching more Christmas movies. So we watch more Christmas movies than we did 25 years ago. And perhaps that's because you know, streaming, different ways of watching films. So we're all going to be watching Christmas fun films, but not so much about giving out a, a Christmas pie for Santa. And that's, that I just think as a historian of Christmas, I'm so interested in the, how, how Christmas is changing. And do you know one thing, Jason? Do sure. you know what we also found? One in 20 people, do you know what they put on their Christmas dinner? No, Tomato really. sauce. no. Yes, they do. Oh, Would that's you shocking. Do that? No, I absolutely wouldn't. I love a Christmas dinner, lashings of gravy. Um, the, the only thing that I ever mix with gravy, I probably shouldn't, is when I have mayonnaise on steak and chips uh, and gravy as well. But on Christmas Day, it's got to be exactly as it should be. The, the roast, the, the veg, no tomato sauce in sight. You wouldn't put mayonnaise on your on your Yorkshire puddings? 
Actually, no, you'd never maybe tempted to do that. But uh, no, I will behave. I won't do that because it would look wrong at the table. But uh, it, 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 the Christmas traditions evolve, though. And, and things like the Christmas card coming in just over 150 years ago, probably there, thereabouts, and now starting to fade out again. But uh, still something which we'll see a percentage of this year, I'm going to get. Well, it's really interesting because Christmas, I think, is one of our most successful festivals because it's so flexible. It always changes. It goes back to Roman times. There was a Roman Saturnalia festival in the midwinter to give people something to look forward to. So with the growth of Christianity, it pretty much sort of overlapped that festival. And we see it changing through the years. So a lot of the traditions that we think are very old are actually Victorian inventions. We have Queen Victoria to blame for everything about Christmas. (laughs) Now, I know you're very organised, Jason. I know you've got all your presents. I know they're under the tree. I know everything's ready, but I'm going to be in chaos on Christmas Eve, rushing about the shops. And it's all Queen Victoria's fault. She developed the idea of of Christmas as a children's celebration. Before that, it was mainly adults getting together, drinking alcohol. So it's all thanks to Queen Victoria that we have Christmas as a children's celebration. Albert brought over the Christmas tree because he was German. Mm -hmm. And there was a portrait painted of them by the tree with their children, with the presents. Once that was in the newspaper... Everyone had to have a Christmas tree so we can blame Victoria for everything that causes panic and stress in the lives of of, of us in this country. Uh, Number one, Christmas. Number two, white weddings. You know, she contributes to people's high blood pressure. (laughs) And the Christmas card was developed by the Victorians. The first Christmas card showed a picture of family drinking alcohol on it. That was quite a unique picture. (laughs) Cracker was developed by the Victorians. And also it was the Victorians who developed, who really brought in the Christmas pudding and the Christmas cake as we know it today. Because in Henry VIII's time, he ate Christmas pudding as a porridge, a sort of Christmas pudding porridge, like a great big soup. Yeah. Oh, it's good. Christmas pudding has had meat in it in the past, as have mince pies as well, I think, haven't they? Well, you're right. And this is why I'm so interested in this mince pies that only 17% of us are leaving a mince pie out for Santa, because mince pies are one of our oldest Christmas traditions. They go right back to the medieval times and they were, as you say, meat. You get some lamb, you mix it up with sugar and honey and spices and you put it in pastry and that is your mince pie. And they were eaten in the Tudor times and it was right up until the 19th century that they still put meat in the mince pie. So maybe that's what we need to get the mince pie back in fashion again. Maybe we need to put maybe we put some meat in there. I don't know what you think. Would you have a I'm, meaty meaty mince pie? I'm content with my uh, extra special ones from one of my favourite supermarkets, to be fair. Uh, we'll go as far as a bit of rum or brandy, but anything further than that, no. I will keep the mince for the shepherd's pie. <laughs> and, and I just think, you know, Christmas is always changing. If you find yourself by Henry VIII, it'll be a great big pile of meat, and you, actually, do you know what they call the pastry for the mince pie? Do you know what they called it in the Tudor cool. times? A coffin. Oh, right. Very Halloween-y, more than Christmassy. It yes, is, so isn't it? it? Yes, Henry VIII have a giant pile of meat, this plum pudding porridge, and that will be his Christmas lunch. And he wouldn't have a, a spoon or a fork. You just saw off the meat and you stuff it in. That will be the Henry VIII. And no, no vegetables, obviously no potatoes, but no vegetables at no. all. That was mm-hmm. not what Henry VIII, rich, rich Tudor people would eat. And we see that pretty much straight through the years until we start to see the Victorians changing all the traditions. And that and Christmas, I think, is always changing. But I think one thing that we all still love is that getting together with friends and family. And I just love 
a country pub walk on Boxing Day. I love going mm -hmm. out into the into the nice chilly air and going to the nice cozy pub. And Chef and Brew have got these beautiful pubs. They're also cozy with this lovely festive menu. So maybe if Father Christmas is looking for that mince pie, he needs to go to the pub to get it. I think that'll work. And of course, it contains the alcohol that Christmas used to be all about as well. Always drink responsibly and always eat mince pies responsibly as well. Absolutely. Not with not with tomato sauce. No, that, that would be really wrong. That wouldn't be good <laughs> at all. Uh, where do we go for more information? about these pubs and uh, how we could enjoy a, a few festivities on somebody else's turf. The, well, it's great, isn't it, when you don't have to cook the Christmas dinner and great <laughs> to cook the lunch when someone else cooks it for you and it's lovely and cosy. Chef and Brewer have got 150 pubs all over the country, lots in the Midlands, and it's www.chefandbrewer.com and there's the pub finder there and it's really cosy and maybe, just maybe, Father Christmas will come down the chimney as well. Fingers crossed it could happen. Uh, well, for now, Professor Kate Williams, historian and Christmas expert, thank you for joining us. Happy Christmas. Thank you, Jason. Now, when it comes to Christmas, we've got to make sure we get the right guest etiquette and we ensure that all of our guests don't do things like damage your wallpaper. Somebody who is probably very protective of uh, whatever it is on his walls is Lawrence Rollinbone, who joins me now. Hello, sir. Basically, yes, touch my flock and die. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky one, isn't it? Because I think um, Christmas is, it is that point where you do have to open the door you do have to share your world and actually you are a better person from having done it has no one ever seen a christmas carol for goodness sake i mean it's all there isn't it um <laughs> but um it's actually i mean when you think about it it's actually it's it's what we have as as a species we've been doing this for millennia we've been taking the shortest day the scariest day the day when there's uh, virtually no sunlight and we've been lighting fires and we've been sitting around uh, uh you know sitting around with all the uh, the rest of the tribe um, eating too much and, and uh, uh, you know, really just trying to use a sense of conviviality and that sense of uh, sociability as a way of pulling together during the darkest day. Um, and I think if you sit in those terms, actually it becomes a little bit more easy to digest you know when you are um when you are opening your doors for christmas people need to feel relaxed you know they need to feel as if your welcome is warm and when you are going to someone's house for christmas you know don't take a lot of your prejudices with you by all means actually understand that the effort that's being spent on your behalf comes from a place of love. Um, and one of the things I think is very interesting, that this new survey shows that actually the British are very, very grown-up-ish about specific things when it comes to Christmas guests. And one of the big things is the fact that they, whilst we all love this idea of, you know, my house is your house, they also really appreciate it when guests just do the little things, the small things, like not leave the loo light on, you know, not leave the door open so you're heating the street, not fiddle with the curtains. Because mm. actually, one of the big things now, and okay, for goodness sake, we all know we've got an enormous credit card bill come January because of the, the feasting and the drinking and the presents. But it's the utility bills as well. That's mm -hmm. the new thing that we need to start worrying about. Um, and there's now so much information on gov.uk uh, forward slash save energy, which is all about, you know, saying to everybody, just don't waste it. You know, for goodness sake, keep that welcome as warm as possible. Just don't waste it as a guest. Don't waste it. But also as a host, you know, here we are. We've got a, we've got a week left before Christmas. 
there's time to make sure that the boiler is perfectly serviced. There's time to, you know, turn the uh, combi boiler uh, thermostat down, turn the radiators off in rooms that you're not um, using. Mm -hmm. Bleed the radiators. Jason, have you ever bled a radiator? Well, actually, I've got got underfloor heating throughout the entire house, so I don't have to anymore. Oh, my God, get you. I know. You're so swanky in grand designs. Absolutely. Um, But us humans, uh, (laughs) you know, we have radiators which need to be bled. I bled one the other day. It was brilliant. There I was with my diamond-encrusted Allen key. Mm -hmm. That was on the floor with a, a bowl and all this water gushed out filthy covered in all sorts of you know f- f- containing all sorts of rubber. it was like popping a spot it was marvelous um, <laughs> and as a result the heating just works so much better but it is it's it's these kind of things that i think people a lot of people are worried about you know it's taking a bit of the gloss off christmas this idea of oh my goodness me yes i'd love to see the family but how much is that going to cost me in terms of the utility in a way it doesn't you know in how much is costing in terms of presence in terms of hospitality these are these are givens these are things you can see that the money is being you scale it can't you You, you know what you've spent exactly but actually there is this worry that you know all the uh, all the energy that is being consumed is being you know it's is going to come back and bite us in january so just don't waste it is the big message absolutely and i mean you can make the most of things through your soft furnishings and the like as well you talked about having the curtains drawn to stop oh the energy God. escaping out but... yeah you <laughs> you're so right this is one of my big things so you know do you remember the terrible ghastly dark days of minimalism uh where we were supposed to live in these sort of enormous white spaces the color of simon cowell's teeth uh, with nothing at the window but a kind of a measly anorexic blind. Those are probably that's probably one of the most terrible decorating tropes that ever happened to planet Earth. Um, because it just absolutely not only was it very very difficult to to heat and light, uh, it actually made people feel cold. So you know when you go into one of those dreadful grey drawing rooms as as promoted by Stacey Solomon, first thing you want to do <laughs> is turn the thermostat up. But actually, Jason, you've got it right. You know, li- literally big velvet curtains soft fluffy carpets maybe paint the walls peach which is color of the year all of that makes the space feel so cozy before you even get going it means that you're not instinctively you're not kind of um naturally wanting to overheat it actually it feels warm and it feels loving before you even start yeah and you can do the warm through light as well i've got very nice uh, warm hues when it comes to my bulb rather than stark white are you a mini me? Um, I mean, it's, I mean, are, are we related? Did I once have a romantic encounter with your mother? Who maybe, knows? perhaps you're, a, a, you know, a Llewellyn Bonnet. No, this is the other thing because LED lighting, which is, you know, the brilliant in 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 terms of energy resources, it's something that uses so much less electricity than conventional roofs. But I think still people don't realise that you can you can buy LED bulbs as a cold white or as a warm white, um, and a warm white will make a tremendous difference. For the way that a room feels it will literally make it feel so much more comfortable more cozy uh more heartwarming jason you are well ahead of the curve we do my best i would like to say i'm already there as well for the fact that my one of my main living spaces is also the kitchen so the oven is heating right. that up when i'm cooking and then yeah. you've got a nice settee and table to relax in there as well well and- absolutely and I, I mean we live in quite an old house and and we've revived the traditional thing with the the the, the big living space which is where they always uh, uh used to burn the witches um <laughs> so you know it, it, it kind of kills two birds with one stone yeah and that's... keeps the mother-in-law at bay as well <laughs> it sounds like it could actually do a good job there mm. but as much as it's all fun i mean we do need to make sure we keep a cap on those energy bills over Christmas. And, uh, uh, you know, would you want to invite somebody if they did leave the light on in the loo? 
Well, I mean, you know, for goodness sake, uh, uh, I, I, I think I might say something. But no, you're absolutely right. I think the thing is that, you know, it's just that sort of wasted resource that I think is really irritating. Um, you know, Christmas is about generosity, is about being a bit spendthrift, is about flashing the cash a bit. But, you know, do that on things that people can see and people can appreciate. Don't do that on energy bills that are likely to, um, you know, really come out and go boo uh, in January and actually take the gloss off the entire experience. The spare room you leave in the coats in, keep it cool. Everywhere else that you are going to be, make sure you're enjoying it at the right temperature. Exactly. Or failing that, just turn the heating off and tell everyone to do star jumps. <laughs> that could be a good one. And it'd work off the Christmas pudding as well. So it could well, work for really sure. well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us that web address again. Uh, it's gov.co.uk forward slash, because strokes sound so bad, forward slash save energy. That's the way. And we like to save energy. It sounds like a plan. Lawrence Willenberg, have a fantastic Christmas. I know you're going to be the perfect host when you do have people around and have a brilliant 2024 as well. Thank you very much indeed. Dominic Bugatti has got some amazing music out there, not only the back catalogue, which is awe-inspiring, but also some amazing stuff, which is only just impacting. And he joins me now to tell me more. Hello, sir. How are you doing, Jason? I'm all right, and I hope the world is treating you well. All very good, all very good. Very excited to have stuff out there at the moment that people seem to like. That's always a nice feeling. And a bit of a collaboration on the uh, on the That's airways. Right. Well, I've I've worked with many artists in my time, and um, not long ago on Facebook, I started noticing releases by a Swedish lady uh, in Swedish mainly these days. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, called Anne Winsbourne, and I thought, God, they're good. And then one came up that I thought that could really benefit from an English translation. So I did a song of hers in Swedish. Don't ask me what it was in Swedish because I <laughs> wouldn't be able to pronounce it. But but in English, it's called Way to Go, and uh, it came out a year or so ago and um, did very well on YouTube playlists and stuff like that. So uh, encouraged by that, when I started getting this idea for a, a, a new, the new song, Same Old Missing You, I contacted her and said, you know, do you think you'd uh, you'd like to sing this one? And I was very pleased to say that uh, pleased to say that she did. So uh, that's where we're at now. And of course, uh, being Swedish, there's always going to be comparisons to ABBA. How do you think she stands up against uh, that sort of quality of singing? Well, She's that's up there, a very isn't she? Good question. I, I noticed we were on a on a playlist just now. We're still on it, I think, where it's next to Anjeta mm-hmm. of ABBA, and that was very interesting because I noticed with um, the Anjeta track, the voice is sort of how can I put this heavily? You, you know, there's loads of effects and stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of screwed to, you know, sort of a very small sound and stuff. Uh, whereas with Anne's, um, I've left it very, you know, honest sounding, if you like, if you like. I don't mean that it's dishonest to do that, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a very natural sound. Mm-hmm. And I think it compares exceptionally well. I mean, to be honest, I, uh, I didn't, when I was writing the song, I really didn't think of Abra. I know it's so obvious because she's Swedish and they're Swedish. But if I have influences from that era, and bass players would probably recognise this when they hear the track, uh, I'm more into Beatles and Prince. Mm-hmm. I don't like Abba, don't get me wrong, but what happens is whatever song you write, the minute you put a blonde, particularly a blonde woman with a Swedish, slight Swedish accent onto the track, people are going to hear that Abba thing, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. and, I, and I don't mind because I love Abba too. Uh, we had a big songwriter uh, function the other evening partly to... Well, it, it became, unfortunately, a, a chance to celebrate the passing, if you like, of, of, of a great UK songwriter, Richard Kerr. 
mm-hmm. who's just just passed away and um they had a pianist who was just sort of on his own playing tra- famous songs and he did an, a heroic job an amazing job of doing um dancing queen <laughs> just on a piano you know what i mean it's got so many parts so much production he did an amazing job um so i'm i'm definitely um down with abba and that, and that doesn't matter it, it doesn't uh, affect me that people are comparing it. in fact you know it's great it's a bit of a bonus it's a talking point as well mm-hmm. um and uh i think i think uh yeah that, that, that you know yeah if you're an abba fan i think you you would like it actually funny enough I, I think you would hear because we've also got harmonies it's 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 my production my i play everything basically i always have lots of things anyway not always everything but a lot and then we have a backing vocalist called emily lynn who's excellent uh tracking her up to to do the backing vocals so i suppose she's the sort of freeder if you like in the background <laughs> and then and then we've got a guy doing extra extra strings called um uh, pete and uh he uh he he does strings for sort of kind of an ogan can you wait you know we, we've got some class additions there as well so um, um, when I, it comes to this sort of stuff, I mean, your address book is packed full of names, so you can get who suits the track pretty much. Well, can't yeah, you? I mean, yeah, hopefully, yeah. I don't know about you know every time, but yeah, no, no, it, it makes production a joy, really. I mean, this this was the thing about working with Anne, is that I've done a lot of mentoring and teaching Jason in my time, bringing you know, encouraging up and comings and, and working with them and bringing their talents along and that's great but I must say working with someone she's had her own hits you know all over Europe and stuff and um so working with someone who's been there knows the, the score and when I when I, I wanted to adjust the melody in places to really bring out the best in her voice and you know get the story across and everything and and that was that was so easy with her because she's uh, she's had the experience to know what we're aiming for basically and then she can also write lyrics because we've done another song that where she's actually written uh, into the lyric and uh, very well in English as well. It's amazing some of these, you know, um, Swedish people and, and and other countries who have just totally mastered English. You know, they, mm-hmm. they, they, you know hit, English, hits in English now are coming from all over the place. Yeah. Not it, it's not it's not a second language. It's an additional language. It's not it, yes, exactly. It's a, yeah, 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 they're just as comfortable in it. So uh, to, to the extent of writing so, uh, lyrics, I've had a few chats on these. Uh, this, if you like, an interview round, which I'm thoroughly enjoying because I'm normally in the the guy in the back in the back room, you know, working away on the sounds. So it's a chance to come forward a bit and talk about the process and stuff. And uh, one of the things that's come up is plot in songs. You know, mm-hmm. I was saying that when I've done some of these seminars and things about songwriting, when I get to the bit where I discuss plot, some of the songwriters look at each other like, "Hang on, I'm in the wrong room. This this must be about TV writing or movie writing, right?" But actually, you know, songs have plots and uh, and the plot of Same Old Missing You, which is very much a sort of a, a break from an established relationship. It's not like a quick a quick romance that's gone wrong. It's something quite, quite sort of long lasting um, that uh, that that leads to the lines about, you know, she makes a second coffee without even thinking about it. And it's a shame to pour it down the sink. You know, it's got some it's got some. Uh, quite real life uh, stuff in there but the, but the mm-hmm. fundamental plot is uh, is about this um this long standing relationship and it's got a few things i think you know you can imagine um real people in that situation saying like she says uh, come on come on is she really so special you know about the other woman you get what i mean it's a, mm-hmm. a bit like a little mini a mini mini movie in a way yeah 
But then, I mean, you, with you and your work and the number of people you've worked with, the hits that you've had, I mean, Anne's yeah. probably hugely honoured to be working with you and, uh, you know, not just, just bigging you up for the sake of it because the, <laughs> the, the sales do that by uh, by uh, yeah, tenfold. And, uh, yeah, and so, so I, yeah, I, you, oh, you know your process when you're writing. Well, she is very happy about it, but I, I also feel that uh, there is potential there which mm -hmm. hasn't i also think the fact that her name is Anne winsbourne which is easy for us to say is a big bonus because if someone's called i don't know shlamandovitz Bodunga or whatever you know what i mean it's sort of it's it can make it quite hard to get you get your you know, you get, your get, teeth around it yeah. yeah so 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 as far as i was concerned she was and with, with her good english she was basically a bit like an undiscovered american artist you know well not undiscovered but Un, uh, you know, not sufficiently promoted, if you mm -hmm. like. I don't, I don't see the Swedish thing as being a big deal, but there is that slight accent, and I think that that does add something, and that's where the ABBA thing comes in, you know. So well, when we look back at some of your history, though, I mean, uh, with the work that you've done over the years and the artists that you've worked with, uh, mm. obviously this is um, a, a, something which all pours into every project that you do. You must be drawing on all of your experience to, to throw at this. Uh, and again, this has made it even bigger and better than it could have been if somebody who, who hadn't got your back catalogue. Yeah, well, I think I think now uh, I, can, I can probably, uh, I, you know... <laughs> Elton John said it's one in 10 songs that matter. And he's Elton John right? mm -hmm. that really matter, that are really worth, you know, for every yellow brick road, there's, a, there's another nine that no one's that interest or so interest, so interested in. So, so no one is uh, infallible, but I think I probably am better now at, at recognizing when, when it's worth, you know, uh, finishing and stuff. And uh, the process has got easier. And also, it's a great pleasure. I saw a thing on Facebook the other day where a guy said, oh, isn't it mis miserable writing that second verse? Because we have songwriter groups and producer groups, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's how you heard about Anne in the first place, through a producer group. Um, and I saw that about, you know, oh, what a drag writing that second verse. And actually, you know, I just don't agree with that because that can actually be a great pleasure writing the second verse. It's like you've, you've established the, you know, you've established the shape of the verse, and then if to use a, a classic example in, in the long and right winding road, you know, the McCartney classic, the second verse goes, the wild and windy night that the rain washed away, you know, has left a pool of tears. You know, it's fabulous. Uh, and um, you can you can you can sort of expand much more on the on the idea and stuff. So I enjoy I enjoy uh, all the hard work, if you like, to go. I mean, inspiration is one thing, but, you know, you've got to put in the time as well. Mm -hmm. And I don't mind that time. I'm, I'm never happier, really, than when I'm thinking, oh, you know, what rhymes with you know, <laughs> what I mean? minute or whatever? You know what I mean? It's 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 not it's not forced. You allow it to flow, and I mean we've seen. I mean, someone like a, a woman in love. Uh, you've got uh, my simple heart with the uh, three degrees. Amazing yeah. tracks. Sheena Easton's modern girl. Uh, you know all of these things are, are, are very different, maybe to music sounds better with you, which we've heard by Stardust, yeah. and all of those pieces of work that you've you've had the uh, the, the the penmanship behind over the years. Mm. Um, it. It, it must draw on some interesting areas of your of your life to to tell these tell, tales. Yeah, I can tell you where it all started. Actually, was UK radio. Now, what we what we have now is we have the word genre has sort of uh, taken over completely, almost. So when you upload a track to Spotify, it's, it doesn't just say genre; it says subgenre. So you've got like it's a dance track, but that isn't enough. It has to be 
categorized boxed into sort of hip-hop or you know lo-fi or all these mm -hmm. categories uh which is a kind of sign that you feel a bit like you've been um abducted by aliens you know what i mean <laughs> and put on a thing and i you know they're going to test you for a, you know, i i don't i'm not that interested in that <clears throat> in that and and what i've always done is i've always been more interested in the song idea that you know and i've also always had a foot in the dance thing so uh, i'm going to get to why i think that is by the way but just to say i i i've had tracks by um you know i've had ballads by air supply like everyone in the world but i've mm -hmm. also had dance tracks uh or well what is it dance tracks uh, tracks with a groove by Shaka Khan, by KC and the Sunshine Band. I've always had a foot in in, in different uh, camps, if you like. Not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't, I'm not, I don't want genre, I don't want to be nailed down by genre, right? I just want to write good songs. And um, I think that one of the reasons that I go, I, if you like, I'm cross uh, genre is because when I grew up, now also radio is extremely categorized. Do you know what I mean? You've got mm -hmm. the country stations, you've got the R&B stations, you've got the this, that and the other stations. When I grew up, because I guess it was Radio 1, but maybe Radio Caroline, whatever. I would hear a sort of Tammy Wynette song and then a Four Tops song and then a Beatles song. And then do you see what I mean? There was no there was no genre. Um, it's about, just about good music rather yeah, than about just, types uh, well, of music. Well, I've got a friend who says there are only two genres, what good music and bad music. And it, <laughs> I would tend to agree with that. So I heard all this this wide range of stuff growing up and of course frank musker who i wrote many of the you know bugatti and musker as well and I, I wrote quite a few of the hits with him uh he had the same experience so we would we would we would be quite happy uh hearing that an, a, a certain kind of artist was looking for a track and we could we could we could sort of if you like tap into that 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 particular style and that was fine you know and sometimes we were surprised like like the one i just mentioned every woman in the world which was huge in the states by Esper, mm -hmm. it was actually written as a soul ballad and recorded um let me think now by billy ocean so, so first but but then then sort of made into a pop track by a big a and r guy in the states called clive davis who's generally regarded as the top a and r guy uh, of all time but anyway he he saw the song in a completely different way and so that happened as well that we, you know, there were there were the songs jump slightly jumped across uh, categorization as well, um, but I've I've enjoyed every minute, Jason. I have, although the only thing is lack of sleep perhaps was <laughs> an issue at one point. I mean, it's horrible to think of now, but for ten years, basically, I mean, people said to me, "How did you do this with all these stars and everything?" I said, "Well, it was easy. I just didn't sleep from twenty three to thirty three. You know, anyone can do that." Uh, and the way kind of that age. Yeah, but the way I used to get myself started in the morning when I'd been up till four or five o'clock doing guitar stuff and whatever, and then waking up at like nine, I suppose. So, you know, not much sleep. I used to have the kickstart of the day was an untipped Chesterfield cigarette, if you remember those. They're probably the strongest cigarette that's ever been produced with a double espresso. The sort of either now makes me... <laughs> I don't, want, I don't want either of those things, but that is out of your system. That one, isn't it? So. Yeah, that's how I kept going. So, um, but different days, you know, they were different days. I'm, I'm much more uh, health conscious and relaxed, you know. Yeah, well, the music may no longer be fueled by caffeine, but it's still absolutely amazing and is selling so well. Uh, mm -hmm. Anne Wisborne is your co-collaborator on this one. And uh, so it is one to look out for now. Same old Missing You, uh, available on all the usual platforms. What are your socials and what are her socials, please? Uh, okay, well, I'm Dominic Bugatti official on most things uh, like Facebook and Instagram. 
And I think if you search Anne Winsbourne, you'll find very quickly um, it's W-I-N-S-B-O-R-N, Anne Winsbourne. You'll see them all laid out. Yep, and of course there'll be links from uh, the the single on your pages as well. I'm oh, sure. Oh yeah, definitely. You'll find it on Spotify, no problem. And to take yourself back in time, dominic-bugatti.com. I'm going to guess there's a full discography there of uh, some varieties. Uh, oh yeah, so... you've got quite a few uh, quite a few things in there. But I'm constantly surprised. I didn't realize how cool I was until recently. Someone <laughs> pointed out that um, I'm trying to think of who the people are now. Nancy Sinatra and a guy who she used to work with. And I can't think of his name now. It's just going to slip my mind. Anyway, you know, sort of like they did a thing. I wrote English words for a French thing called um, uh, Summer Love or something like that. I can't remember what it was in French. And uh, that ended up being cut. Lee Hazelwood. Now, if you're into that 60s thing of stuff like Barbarella and all, you know, Lee Hazelwood and, and Nancy Sinatra, I'm just saying, I, you know, I didn't even know <laughs> I'd ever been near their stuff. But anyway, so, so yeah, go there. There's all kinds of interesting. There's Fifth Dimension, um, you know, Daft Punk and, and Stardust through uh, Music Sounds Better With You, the Shaka Khan, there's the Cher. Carly Simon, lots of info there. Yeah, Dominic-Bugatti.com. Yeah, have 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 a sort of there's actually a sort of a, a thing that automatically plays. Look at it on laptop, by the way, or desktop, because there's too much information. It's such a mess on a mobile phone. It's hard to find your way around it. Certainly explore that. Socials on your phone and the website on your proper machine. That would be perfect, yeah. But have a fantastic Christmas. We're looking forward to hearing the track now. Anne Winsbourne and Dominic Bugatti are going to do the same on Missing You. Happy Christmas to you and everyone at the Milk Bar. Thank you very much, sir. See you soon. Cheers. Bye. You guaranteed every minute It's hard right now just being me Look in the mirror and I see your face in it The way it always used to be Come on, come on, is she really that special? Oh baby, why can't you see? It's the same old, same old missing you It's the same old, same old missing
With 40% of us realising we're more likely to get the flu over the Christmas period as we all get together, we need to think about whether we've had our vaccines this year. Uh, to tell us more, I'm joined now by Dr Hilary Jones. Hello, sir. Hello, Jason. How are you? I'm very well. I trust we find you well. And have you been done already this year? Yes, I've been vaccinated. Um, I've been vaccinated about uh, against uh, not just COVID, but flu, uh, because actually flu probably poses a slightly greater risk this winter um, for many of us. Um, we certainly have seen it uh, on the increase in the southern hemisphere compared to five uh, average previous years. And what happens there tends to come here. So this is the time when people start gathering, flocking together. We don't want people to get ill and we don't want people who are ill to pass that illness on to their elderly relatives um, uh, over the festive period. So uh, this is the time to think about being vaccinated and giving yourself the best protection you can get. Absolutely. And uh, as we've talked about uh, in the past, flu itself is uh, a very different virus to coronavirus uh, in as much as it, it does mutate. But uh, its mutations are probably a, a little harder for our body to spot than the differences between variants on uh, a normal cough or cold. Yeah, mutations happen very quickly with flu viruses. And so the vaccine that we had last year won't necessarily give us much protection against viruses this year. There'll be different viruses that, that, that give us the threat. Also, our immunity would have waned anyway uh, by last year. So um, it, it is a vaccine that you really need to have every year. And of course, those people in, in the vulnerable groups are entitled to a free NHS vaccination against flu. So we're talking about people 65 and over, people in clinical risk groups aged six months to 65, women who are pregnant, uh, children aged two or three, children in primary school, anyone living in residential or nursing homes, people who are the main carers for an elderly or disabled person, um, anyone in close contact with those who've got a weakened immune system, and of course all our frontline workers and our social care workers, they need uh, that uh, free vaccination too. So it's it's something that we should seriously think about if we haven't already had the jab. And it's not actually that expensive if you want to get it to yourself anyway over the counter at your uh, local chemist. No, not at all. It could be the best money you've ever spent. If you want to enjoy your Christmas parties and, and uh, all the fun and festivities, then you want to be fit. And uh, th there's nothing worse than lying in, in bed with flu. You're feeling grotty anyway, but you're missing out on all the fun as well. A double whammy. 
And and with a quarter of people never having had the flu vaccine, and as we spoke about last year, uh, I hadn't. I'd had it once in my twenties, purely because there was some left over at my local GP surgery. Uh, then, uh, I'd, on your advice, I did get my flu vaccine last year, and uh, I have yet to to go because I'm I'm not eligible for a free one this year because I've only been fifty two next yeah. year. Uh, oh, I'm yeah. not. I, I I don't fit into the categories. Uh, but uh, it's I've I've got to get round to to getting it done. So it would be sensible for me to do it to make sure that I can't pass it on to anybody else as well. As much as anything, yeah, that's right. And I think that people have this this idea that you know um, it, 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 we don't really need it. We're young and fit and healthy. But even young, fit, healthy people um, are susceptible to flu. As I say, it's a very nasty illness. It can cause um, infections of the ear. It can cause pneumonias. It can cause sepsis. Fourteen and a half thousand people lost their lives last winter to the flu. Um, so you'll be unlucky to get it more than once in your lifetime, but you'll certainly know about it if you do. Um, it, 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 it's, it's a very serious illness and, and very unpleasant indeed. So it makes sense to, to spend a moment or two getting that vaccination and, uh, and knowing that that's going to give you a good level of protection. Yeah, because whilst we may all have had quite bad colds, when you've had flu, you know about it, don't you? You really would do. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been lucky to have avoided it so far. Fingers crossed I can keep it that way. I'll be getting myself sorted out on uh, on the vaccine front. Um, and if somebody is eligible for the free vaccine, or they, again, they needed to present at their GP surgery or at, uh, at, the, at the, the local pharmacy? That's right. Yeah, th those places are the best places to go and everyone's geared up for that so we've got the stocks in place um, and uh, Christmas is coming so don't hesitate get it done now and again it, it is something which is vitally important to make sure we protect the elderly I mean so many lives I mean we've got the COVID inquiry ongoing at the moment and I'm not going to ask you to go anywhere near commenting on that but uh, from the numbers we talk about there to 17,000 lives it's a huge number and it will really spoil Christmas if uh, if an elderly or vulnerable relative isn't there for, for Christmas and it could have been avoided yeah, absolutely. This is preventative. Uh, and uh, just to dispel that myth that still endures, the flu jab can't give you flu. Um, it, it's a killed virus. Um, it's impossible to get flu from the flu jab. Uh, what you might get is a slightly sore arm for an hour or two and, and, and feeling a little bit um, off colour for a couple of a uh, couple of hours. Sign of the immune um, system responding to the vaccine to protect you. So, you know, see it as a positive, really. That's what I say. Yeah, it's a, that's, a, that's a good sign if you feel a bit rough because you know everything's kicked in. And, it's and even if you don't, the fact you've got it in you means it's sorted. It's just you're, you've got a slightly more excitable uh, yeah, so, so immune system that hasn't uh, left you feeling quite so uh, off. That's right. And it doesn't last very long at all. And you, then you're protected and you can uh, look forward to the festive, active, uh, festive uh, the period without uh, too much to worry about. So where can we go for more information for anyone who wants to dispel a few more myths and also find out more about the vaccine itself? Well, I think there's the NHS um, website, there's the GP and the pharmacy. They're the best places to go. Simply nip along, have a chat. And in most cases, you won't even need an appointment. You probably have to go to your pharmacy. I'll take you into their uh, little cubicle and sort you out straight away. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Hilary Jones, have a fantastic Christmas. Look forward to speaking to you in the new year. You too, Jason. Take care now. Now, when it comes to a winter break and some wonderful snow-covered sports, we need to make sure we're doing this sustainably. To tell us more, I'm joined now by a former GB Olympian, Shemi Olcott. Good afternoon. Hi, Jason. How are you? I'm very well. Good to talk to you again, and I hope we find you looking forward to a great winter full of some fantastic sports. Yeah, I've already been out, actually, and sampled some of the amazing early season snow. On Sunday, I was in Tyrol um, on the glacier, and I had... 
probably my best powder day of the whole of 2023. So it's looking, fingers crossed, very good for a very snowy winter. Now, I know you obviously uh, be thinking about your environmental impact when you're going off doing this sort of thing. And um, a lot of the time you're there for work or as, a, as an appearance uh, to help other people enjoy their breaks too. But uh, when you do the, you know, traveling for Ski Sunday or otherwise, obviously we need to think about what we're doing and the environmental impact. And uh, obviously winter breaks are, are, are a massive boon to, to people's uh, time through this time of year. And it's a great way of sort of keeping yourself feeling good and having a, a great time and doing a bit of exercise whilst enjoying. Uh, join the slopes yeah i mean a third of the brits ski and of those 80 percent are trying to make the right sustainable decisions they are conscious of their impact um, and their carbon footprint in booking their ski holiday and that's something that i'm really passionate about talking about the austrian tourist board found that stat and i was like i want to promote this because i'm an ambassador to protect our winters i've done my carbon literacy training and I have really firsthand seen the impact of climate change on our glaciers, for instance. And although we're talking about the sport of skiing, we're also talking about globally what happens when all of that glacier ice melts and our oceans obviously get more water, towns get dispersed. There's a lot of impact from this that means that those, those people who have the opportunity um, and the fortune to, to go on ski holidays can start making the right decisions for the future generations. Yeah, and uh, when you are you know, looking at your overall picture, offsetting your carbon is, is one way of doing things, and lower carbon travel is another. Yeah, I mean, actually, in the region of Tyrol, there are some resorts you go to that if you can prove that you've come by train just by taking your train ticket to the tourist information, they give you 150 euros cash back. So it's something that we're really trying to promote. Next Saturday, I'm taking the first snow train out of St Pancreas, which is finally back because people are seeing how important it is to choose sustainability travel options. So the train is coming back to life, especially living in the city. For me, it's a lovely transition to get kind of from the craziness of day to day life to getting to the mountains and slowly looking at the serenity and the beauty of those train trips through the mountains is, is amazing. And Austria really is at the forefront of promoting what resorts can do to be sustainable. Um, they're winning the Green Label Awards, some of these towns and resorts. And they're, they're, they're trying to share this information out about how they're using renewable energy resources from solar um, to, to use the lifts to hydroelectric um, water power for the snow cannons. That's something that we've always seen in our industry as being very um, uneco-friendly, the, the snow cannons. But actually, the way that Austria does it, it uses the water that comes through the snow cannon, melts and goes through the reservoir system again. So it's reusing those facilities. And I think that it's important in this age of doom and gloom with climate crisis to, to celebrate the places, um, the resorts, the countries even that are that are doing things right. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, anything that we can do to improve things, obviously, by not creating an environmental impact on the, the way in which we source it and and getting power to places. I mean, if you've got a way of you know harvesting uh, the, the sun's energy um, through uh, solar panels, you haven't got to run cabling all the way up a hill. So there's all sorts of ways of, of, of reducing cost and our overall impact by thinking about the problem rather than doing the easiest solution, think about another way, which actually will yeah. overall still be a, a much better alternative. 
Yeah, it's about consumers putting pressure on companies to say, we care about this. What are you doing? I rent all my ski equipment um, for the winter, the clothing I rent, and it goes into recirculation for someone else to wear. And that's really, really important to me. I'm also committing to eating less meat. Um, when I have to drive, I've got an electric car um, that I'm using. And so it's just about it's not sacrificing what you feel like you you, you need and you want from your holiday it's just about going to the right places choosing the places that are doing it correct so we can promote them for others to follow absolutely evan uh, uh, making sure that when you are then staying in a hotel you again do that sustainably making mm-hmm. sure you dry your towels because the room's going to be kept warm for you so you know pop them on the radiator rather than having them washed again uh, they'll last a good three to four days unless you're really really messy uh but uh, you can have uh, a good holiday without uh, literally costing the earth yeah, I mean, what we're seeing is this kind of movement towards eating out less, you know, looking at ways where we can spend all of our money just on the skiing and the snowboarding. So looking at self-catering options. I mean, Austria has everything. It's got these incredible, hospitable five-star hotels, but there's also self-catering and looking at the local produce. Then you get to choose your menu. You can choose to be more vegetarian when you're in these resorts. And that's something that I'm trying to commit to as a meat eater is to go, actually, I don't need it as much. So where do we go for more information about these breaks and how Austria can be a much greener destination than many of the others? So there's some great videos that we've made looking at everything from travel to even the peace bashers and how they're becoming more sustainable and using science to help support protecting our winters. And that's at austria.info forward slash sustainability. Check out those details there. Well, for now, Chemi, have a brilliant time on the rest of your breaks and enjoy your Christmas period too. Chemi Elcott, thanks for joining us. You too. Thank you. That's a lot for this week. Thank you so much for joining me back with episode 757 in not too many days' time. I'll see you soon. Ta-ra for now. Goodbye from the mill bar. 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 Yeah. Goodbye from the mill bar. Yeah.